This is No Starving Artist Podcast. You deserve a successful creative life. Each week, I'll share stories of my creative journey, lessons that I'm learning, and cultural resources so that you can allow yourself to thrive. I'm your host, Anissa Benitez. Welcome to the first episode. I really appreciate you being on this creative journey with me, and hopefully it's yours too. Um... I took a while to actually get to a place where I feel comfortable enough to share a podcast, share myself in podcast form, um, because, yeah, I think it takes a while to actually like claim and recognize our power, and so that's what this whole podcast is really about. The actual uh, title that I was originally going to work with was called Kill the Starving Artist, and for a number of reasons, which I'll share, that was not working for me. But it was based on this book um, that's really good. I'd highly recommend by Sheldon Kopp. And it's called If You Meet the Buddha on the Road, Kill Him. And it's focused on the fact that there's no meaning that comes from outside of ourselves. None of that is real. And that each of us has already obtained Buddhahood in many ways. We only need to recognize it. And so that's the role that I want to play in your life. I'm not a guru. I'm not really a teacher. Um, And very honestly, I'm not a person that wants to take a lot of questions. Um, I really just want to be able to share my journey with transparency and leave you with enough questions and enough to reflect on that you're asking questions of yourself. As many of you know, I was also like, I'm very into killing stigmas. And one of which the biggest is around, or the biggest of my focus these days, is around the mindset that you can't be creative and make a livelihood. So I'm very for killing the starving artist stigma, dismantling that. That should die today for so many reasons. Hugely, it's harming society and our ability to give artists their worth Um, and for artists to actually, you know, demand their worth. It's such a shame that the thing that when I ask people what they value most in life um, and what do I value most in life, when it comes down to it, it's like, aside from obviously like relations with loved ones and close relationships there, it's For me, music, it's art, it's culture, it's really amazing small businesses that are well crafting shit and are using their artistry and everything that they do. It's it's artists, right? It's it extends into all these spaces. It's the thoughtfulness that goes into specialization, that goes into extends to wanting to create something that's better. And that's something that should be of the highest value that should be paid its worth each time, every time. So let's change that. As some of you know, I founded More By Her, a platform to dismantle the starving artist stigma. Each week, we share a new story of creative women shaping culture on Wednesdays, Wisdom Drop Wednesdays. For those who identify as women, non-binary, she, her, they, them, 
thriving artists who are willing to give transparency on their creative journey and how they do it. Follow us at morebyher.com or on Instagram at more underscore by underscore her. So the first thing I want to get into to really set the groundwork is the question of when do you claim that you're an artist or even a creative? What does that mean? Um, and the long short is you were born it. Um, you always have been an artist. I'm excited to share a future episode around the brain and our right side brain versus our left side brain, our feminine and energy and the powerhouse that is um, on that right side, the creativity um, and the beauty of it and how it's often muted, overpowered um, by louder parts of our brain and by what's perpetuated in society and valued um, around our left side, our ability to create structure, organize this, that, um, systematize and how there's definitely value in that. But I think it's over, hugely over, you know, promoted. Um, and the more that we can get in touch with right side, the more powerful and intellectually like like powerful in every way, the more you'll be utilizing and extending to different parts of your brain um, in a really powerful way. But anyways, that's a later episode. This episode is about when you claim that you're an artist. I'm going to share a bit about my story and then I'll get into some specifics. So I was always a creative kid. I was born in New York State and by the time I was four years old I was actually living between states between Massachusetts and Berkshires in New York um, each weekend and I was homeschooled most of my elementary years um, and was left with a lot of time to myself. My mom is a New Yorican, Puerto Rican, New Yorker, and just this like black sheep of our family. I can get into her story more deeply at a later time, but she helped pave a foundation for me to tune into my creativity and my spirituality at a really young age. And, you know, it kind of doesn't matter if you have a parent like that or not. Um, eventually down the road, we become, you know, impacted by the societies that we live in. We become very socialized to devalue maybe a lot of those sides of ourselves um, with in, in the effort of making money pretty explicitly. And so I think that was a long short of my journey in some ways. I used to sit in my room at five years old, be able to you know, envision, make this world whatever I wanted it to be in my imagination. I was a shoe designer. I, like, took apart a whole bunch of old shoes and, like, redesigned them. I was, you know, in my mind going to grow up and be an interior designer. I loved to, you know, paint my room and paint the walls and paint canvases and dance and listen to music and sing. And I think most of us were really creative and expressive kids 
who were fascinated by simple things and had a passion. So I'm going to pause here and add in some reflection questions for you to answer on your own time. One, what were you like as a kid? What kinds of things did you enjoy? What did you love? Two, what did you want to be when you grew up? What kinds of things were you fascinated by and it might have changed year to year? Three, what did people expect you to be when you grew up? For me, as I mentioned, there wasn't really a job per se, but making money was a big emphasis. And four, what exposure did you have to people who are creative for a livelihood? Who did you think artists were? I started for my first like kind of like full-time public school experience, Montclair um, Glenfield Middle School, which was a performing arts school. And this was like the first, this, this was like a big turning point for me because I'd been this like super creative kid who didn't do that in connection with anybody, like did that by myself for the most part. Maybe my brother would participate, occasional friends from the neighborhood, other weird homeschoolers. Um, but this was the first time I got to be weird and, um, with, with other people around and it was amazing for me. I took dance, musical theater. I acted, I was like, um, in fine arts. Um, and yeah, every bit of it, I remember just absolutely loving. I remember wanting to be in the musical the first year and, knowing that they didn't take a lot of sixth graders, but I did my audition song, uh, I think it was Annie, You're Never Fully Dressed Without a Smile, or it was like, um, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, because I just like didn't know that many songs, I think, at that point. It was just like things I saw in movies that were musical movies. Um, I hadn't gotten into like the into the woods and like the real theater nerd stuff. Uh, and I just, yeah, I did that audition. I remember being terrified and like my voice cracking on stage and I didn't make the cut and I knew I wasn't going to make it, um, which was like the wrong mindset to going with, but yeah, I sucked to some extent in retrospect was probably very cute. And after that point, I remember singing with my friend who did get into the musical every single day on the bus. We sang a combination of things that she was being given um, and then also a number of things that that were just fun, like Maroon 5 and then like just singing and training my voice up every single day on the bus. And then the next year, I auditioned for the musical and I made the cut and it was awesome. Um, it was one of the best feelings because I had actually spent time and effort training. I remember actually like figuring out what my choreography, I knew I wasn't going to win on singing alone. And so I uh, choreographed a little piece to go along with my song so I could show my dance abilities. And I got in, I got into the musical. And I love that process of feeling really rewarded for 
going after something that you care enough about, um, even if you're not good at it. Because it's going to be a longer journey, but the reward of enduring that journey is so much more fulfilling. And so that is kind of a micro moment. That's what I'm aiming to go towards now in the larger outlook of my life is go towards more things that I really want in that way. Um, So anyways, after middle school, went to high school, and then it became super clear to me that my path needed me to make money. I grew up in a house that was incredibly financially strapped, um, and it created a lot of stress for me. Like, I thought that, I thought that it was actually really hard to make money and to hold on to money. I didn't realize how much now, as an adult, how much mismanagement there was of actually my family, family's finances. And it came from a lack of education. It came from a lack of transparency, not wanting to even see the numbers. There's like a lot of fear, a lot of history of fear around money and what that means. And so our relationship to money is really important. And at that age, my relationship to money became that it was scarce, right? That I needed to work a shit ton, prioritize money to be able to survive. So my first year of high school, I got, um, I started working part-time as a bus girl at this local Italian restaurant three days a week or so. Um, And from then I took on other jobs like babysitting. I was working at a pre-K. I was tutoring. Um, Yeah, anything that I could do to make money because I knew that I had to eventually pay for myself to go to college if I wanted to go to college, which I knew at that time that I did. And so even though I was in dance company, it was incredibly fulfilling. I had amazing friends and my very little of my focus went towards taking those creative passions very seriously, even though those creative things, it was really like if you asked me in high school, what's your favorite class? I was deeply involved in a lot. I was like president of student, vice president of student body, like president of diversity club and, um, took tons of different classes that, you know, entertained interests of mine. But if you asked me, I'd still say my favorite class was dance. I loved being in dance company. That made me feel alive. And at no point did I ever consider going down a path of pursuing dance. I was like, nope, that's, that'd be a short-term play and I'm in the money game, you know? Um, I didn't see big returns on becoming a dancer monetarily. And so I devalued it, which is sad. Um, and in retrospect, I, I understand why I definitely empathize with it. And there's, it's never too late for me to, you know, not do dance. I'm still actively dancing is the beauty of it. Um, but there are just so many moments like that, that we can't even like reflect on where we've done something that's completely made us come alive and in adulthood we're looking and we're like nothing makes me feel anything like I don't do anything that like I love like why is that and we don't recognize oftentimes how early we retired these ideas of what we could be 
because we didn't see the the possibility of them. They weren't, maybe it was a lack of exposure. You didn't see people who are thriving around you, who are doing things that were creative or gave them life. Maybe um, you were told that you would be able to do it, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't make any money and you'd be struggling. Um, or you're, or you were, you know, not witnessing, I don't know, it could be a whole host of reasons. Somebody could have literally just legitimately been like, no, you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer. You're going to make money. Um, and I had the beauty of having parents who actually didn't put much pressure on me to be anything, but I personally knew based on how much they had sacrificed to be in the country for my father being first, um, me being first generation on his side and being an immigrant coming from Cuba with absolutely nothing to the country. I knew, yo, my, I have to leave a little bit of a legacy. I have to build from zero to something. So this is the second and last reflection questions portion. So the first question and the theme around this is, are you doing those things that make you feel alive? So first question being, what things make you feel alive? How often do you do those? And if not, when did you stop and why? Two, when was the last time you went after something you loved simply because it brought you joy? And three, what is your relationship with money? What was the relationship to money of those around you growing up? So I want to get back to the question of when do you claim that you are an artist? When is that time? Is it after XYZ degree? Is it a timing thing? Is it, what is it? When do people get to call themselves artists? And this is the actual, actual truth. You get to claim the artist today you get to claim the artist the this literally at the point at which you recognize that you are um and through this podcast I'll be getting you to that point why because the artist is the creator right the artist is the person who has the ability to create the world that they want to see they are incredibly powerful and that's you it's a power um, and nobody is going to give it to you. That's the, also the sad truth. There is no degree that's going to then say, okay, you are officially an artist. It's you who has to make that decision. Power is not given. Power is taken. If you look at the history of civilization and you look at how Western culture has spread, and you look at slavery, and you look at all of these ways that we are functioning, it's because we are taking power from things. The powerful people have to claim it. You have to claim your power. You have to recognize it, and everybody has their own timing 
in my opinion, the sooner the better. And this is the biggest running theme of More By Her. It's the timing at which each of these creative women have claimed that they're an artist. I still reach out to people who I'd love to feature on the platform and they respond. They're saying, hey, Anissa, I just like, I don't feel like I'm an artist, you know, like I don't feel like I'm a creative. I'm just a person who's just like doing things, which makes me laugh because I'm like, that's exactly what an artist is it's a person who's creating you're creating things you're creating things in a thoughtful way you may not be comfortable calling yourself an artist yet you might prefer the term creative that's fine I totally get it um but I think there's an importance of calling yourself an artist right the more of us who call ourselves artists the more value it brings to artists monetarily. Um, Because I think oftentimes the people who call themselves artists have been overpressed to perform and show their talents, but the space is truly subjective. Anybody can be an amazing artist. Anybody can be a thriving artist. You're no less of an artist if you work a day job. You're no less of an artist if you work in nine to five. You're no less of an artist if you're working in corporate America. But the biggest shame would be for you to dismiss the value of that art and of that creation. To call it a hobby, for instance. Oh yeah, like I'm a full-time corporate lawyer and my hobby is painting that's dismissive to the world of art right because it's saying that your art doesn't have value one actually oftentimes that art those creations even if it's a business that you've created even if it's a sock line that you founded Like, there can be a number of things that you can share with the world and they have so much value because they bring value to society and they shape culture in the slightest way. Anything that you do and you create might spark a light in another person. And even if it's just one person, then that one person is impacted and inspired and somehow moved and maybe they'll go on and create something that will spark and light in another person, that that person will be inspired. And then they'll go on and spark another light in another person and so on and so forth. And you have this amazing ripple effect of people whose lights have been ignited, who are illuminating the world, right? And eventually that takes over. And we have a ripple effect of people who are creating from a place of love. They're not creating from a place of fear. Oftentimes we have jobs This isn't the case for everybody. It was the case for me often where I have jobs because of fear. My job is serving the need for me to make money first and foremost, like at its foundation. If you tell me why I work this job, I'm like, uh, first money, which is honestly a very, it's like a very understandable place, right? I came from a background not having 
any money and needing to make money, having stress around money, historically feeling like I was going to be in debt and be out of money um, with a lot of, you know, stressors around that. All of us have different obligations. Maybe we have children, maybe we have other people that we need to take care of in our lives and we need to prioritize these people, but just know that your reason for existing, what you share with the world, your purpose is not just to make money. Your purpose is to spread love. You are love. And the more that you can get in touch with things that you love, the more that you can recognize that the things that you do and you love have value are the most important things that you maybe are doing in the world are, is the more that we can kind of continue to help shape a better society, a better world, spread love, make it contagious and high and, and really operate at a higher vibration than the low vibration of, oh, I'm doing this to make money. And oftentimes, hopefully, you know, you are able to get to a point, I hope in the future, where you can deprioritize these things that are fear-based decisions. I'm scared to leave my job because of ego. I'm scared to leave my job because, you know, it's a very, you know, it's just regarded, well, I've already built clout in this space. I already have connections in this space. It'd be weird for me to, you know, deviate and do something different or put too much emphasis on something that's just a hobby. Be truthful with yourself. Um, and so in line with the ripple effect i love this quote by howard thurman he was a author philosopher educator and civil rights leader he says don't ask what the world needs ask what makes you come alive and go do it because the what the world needs is more people who come alive so claim it for yourself if not for yourself then for others I dropped a book recommendation, um, a little quote, definitely a lot of my fucking own personal journey. Um, and hopefully in the future episodes I can get, you know, the personal is nice, but I also want to just get you to the resources and, and guide you in a way that's actually a little bit more um, directed um, as far as like things that I've recognized and realized and the lessons that I'm learning and so looking forward to that. Um, and thank you so much for listening. I'm super excited to continue to share insights. Let me know how I can improve the podcast. This is my first, you know, podcast. And so I want to get better. Somebody told me the other day that Ira Glass says he just has to release stuff when it's like half-baked and when it's at 70%. Um, 70% is a C- minus in school, right? Uh, that's not the level at which I want to function in the world, but that's how you got to get things out into the world. You have to share things before you feel that they're perfect because by the time that you refine them down to perfect, it's never going to be perfect you know what I mean? You're going to get to that point and then the next day you look at it and you're like, oh, it's still not perfect. And what do you do? You never release it. You never get into the world. So 
I'm glad to be at Half Perfect for you. I would love for you to help me guide this place to a better one. Guide this podcast along so um, you can do that in the form of leaving a review for me. Um, that would be amazing. Regardless, if you liked this, please share your review. Tell a friend to share it on social. I can be found at Anisa Benitez on Instagram. Follow the wisdom of many amazing, thriving, creative women at More By Her. And you are no starving artist. I'm grateful to be learning and growing with you. I appreciate you. Next week, I'll be sharing five best moments to quit your job and follow your dream. Thank you. Until then.